Today's scripture is taken from the book of Habakkuk, and it is chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Temen, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for my arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun, moon, and sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger your threshold the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land and wicked, of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at that sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Through the fig, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop, f- though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music, all my stringed instruments. Thank you, Terry, for reading God's word for us this morning. So our church's full name is California Evangelical Congregational Church. Uh, And that Evangelical Congregational, or EC, in the middle of our name uh, signifies that we are part of a larger denomination called the Evangelical Congregational Church. Now, Most of you know this, (laughs) so you're probably wondering why I'm telling you about this. Uh, Recently, I, uh, for seminary, was tasked with reading uh, a biography of the founder of our denomination, uh, whose name is Jacob Albright, uh, if you're familiar uh, with this story. Uh, So Jacob Albright uh, moved to Lancaster County in 1785, Uh, so that's pretty soon after 1776, uh, when our nation was founded. Uh, And he was a lowly tile and brick maker 
originally. So he wasn't a pastor, wasn't a seminarian, he uh, was uh, just a worker. Now, Albright's ministry, when he was called to ministry, was itinerant, which meant that he traveled from place to place, and where he was received in a house or in a building, he would preach. Uh, And then after he preached, he would move on, and he would tax the people who he preached to with continuing his ministry, and he would move on. Now, uh, in this biography, and I, I was just really moved by this when I read it, uh, Albright gives an account of his call to ministry and what that looked like. Uh, and so I, I just want to read this for you this morning. He says, and bear with me as we work through the language, this was <laughs> the early 1700s or late 1700s. Uh, so he says, uh, And while I thus held discourse with God, All at once it seemed to become light in my soul. I heard, as it were, a voice within saying, Was it mere chance that the wretched condition of your brethren affected your heart so much? Was it chance that your heart, yea, even your heart, was so overwhelmed with sympathy for the salvation of your brethren? Is not the hand of him visible here, whose wisdom guides the destiny of individuals as well as that of nations? What if his infinite love, which desires to lead each soul into Abraham's bosom, had chosen you to lead your brethren into the path of life and to prepare them to share in the mercy of God? I now, realize, or now began to realize more peace and more assurance. I felt a holy confidence that my prayers were acceptable, and I heard, as it were, the voice of God, Go work in my vineyard. Proclaim to my people the gospel in its primitive purity, with energy and power, trusting in my fatherly love, that all those who hear and believe shall have part in my grace. It's a pretty powerful testimony, right? From this call to ministry from Jacob Albright came not only Albright's personal ministry, but also the ministry of the Evangelical Congregational Church. So our church, as it exists today, would not exist without this call to ministry from Jacob Albright. And as I read this, you know, I thought, well, much of this is still true of our church and our denomination today. Now, why am I telling you this story? Today, we come to the end of the book of Habakkuk, which we've been going through over the past couple weeks. And we've witnessed this kind of back and forth between God and the prophet Habakkuk. Twice Habakkuk raised a complaint, and twice God has responded to Habakkuk. Habakkuk has been wrestling with God over the course of this book. And the reason I share Albright's story with you this morning is because we can see, even in Albright's testimony as God called him to ministry, the wrestling that happened between him and God. From that wrestling, here in Habakkuk, we have uh, what's really a beautiful prayer that Terry read for us. So let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll look a little deeper at Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we thank you for how uh, your word stirs our hearts. And God, we thank you that from your word we can read uh, this story. And Father, how your word inspired uh, Jacob Albright uh, to come to you and to serve you in ministry. And Father, we would not be here today if it wasn't uh, for your word and how you spoke 
to him. So, Father, we thank you for all that this morning, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word. May it not be my voice that we hear, but yours, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. If you're not there already, uh, we'll uh, be finishing that book today. And if you have a a bulletin uh, with you, you can see an outline there. I've split Habakkuk chapter 3 up into three parts for us. This is where we're going this morning. First, we'll talk about remembering what God has done in verses 1 through 7. Then we'll talk about seeing what God will do in verses 8 through 15. And then finally, we'll talk about trusting that it will come true in verses 16 through 19. So starting in that first section, verses 1 through 7, this prayer that Habakkuk prays here, uh, is a response to all that God has said to him. Last week, we looked at chapter 2 of the book of Habakkuk, which uh, was really um, just God speaking to Habakkuk about what he was going to do in the future. And so Habakkuk is praying here, and it's a powerful prayer from him. But it's also more than just a prayer. If you noticed, as Terry read for us, there's a word in verse 1, Shagayanoth, which uh, if you look that up, it just says this is a musical term. (laughs) Uh, And in the last line of the book, there's this line, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So this isn't just a prayer from Habakkuk. This is a song from Habakkuk. Habakkuk has written this. Uh, And it's very similar in some ways to what you would see in the book of Psalms, for example. So first, let's remember, as we finish the book today, where we started in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 2, where Habakkuk said, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? But now the tone from Habakkuk is vastly different from that. Right? He's done a complete 180 here. His tone when he says things like this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, for Habakkuk and this prayer, what he is asking God for is that God would repeat his deeds now. Habakkuk is saying to God through this prayer, God, I have seen what you have done in the past. I have seen what you can do. I've seen what you are capable of. And all that I ask is that you would do it again for us here and now. But also, God, don't just do your deeds, but make them known. Bring people to this same awareness that I have now. Help them to see what I have seen here and to worship you for it. God, bring attention to yourself and that you are doing this for us. Habakkuk is saying, God, your wrath is coming. I've seen that. Remember your mercy as you carry out your judgment. Be gracious even where people, even where my own people may not deserve it. Now, Habakkuk doesn't just stop there, he keeps going. And he begins in verse 3 with uh, what's really a retelling of an important event in Israel's history. He tells the story of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It began with God's glory. 
But then a plague went before him, then the earth shook and the mountains trembled. God's enemies were in great distress. What's going on here is that Habakkuk is connecting two things in his head. He's connecting what God will do in the future, which God has just revealed to him in chapter 2. But he's also connecting that with what God has already done for him in the past. When that connection happens, when those two things come together, that is how we move forward in faith. See, Habakkuk, as we've seen throughout this book, has gone from complaining to adoration here in this prayer. He's gone from frustration with God to worshiping God. And so the question really is, well, what changed between chapter 1 and chapter 3? Well, God didn't change, but God did respond to Habakkuk. And though his response to Habakkuk has come out of Habakkuk's groaning, Habakkuk's eyes have been opened. See, for God, the past and the present and the future are all one before him. He is God. He exists outside of space and outside of time. But Habakkuk exists within time and space. No, all of that is not one before him. There's a disconnect for Habakkuk between the past and the future and the present. But as Habakkuk drew near to God through this book, As he brought his complaints to God, stubbornly, but he was honest about it. As he cried out to God boldly and asked God to be true to who he said that he was. As Habakkuk displayed his faith to God, through a lack of fear, he drew closer to God. Because he drew closer to God, God responded by letting him in on what was going to happen in the future. See, Habakkuk gained a little more knowledge. And when God shared with him what would happen in the future, he gained some knowledge that God had. For Habakkuk, the past and the future became one before him. So what changed? Well, Habakkuk has changed. His heart has changed. Because God was faithful to reveal to him all that would happen in the future, Habakkuk became a little closer to God. This experience of God that Habakkuk had. God spoke to him. God revealed this to him. Now it is just flowing out of him freely. He is just pouring out his praise to God. He has seen a glimpse of God's glory. He can't help but write it down as fast as he can and express it in any way that he can. Now my question is, well, have you ever felt like this? Like Habakkuk does here. Your heart just begins to rejoice so greatly over what God has done that you can't contain it. Right? Maybe a little bit of what Ralph shared with us this morning, right? We would say, well, maybe a few times, but few and far between in our lives, right? But what if that could happen more often, right? Well, I think that's what God wants for us. So I'll invite you into a little bit of this this morning. What has God done for you 
in the past? How has he delivered you in your life? How has he provided for you at certain times? But also, what follows after that is what will God do for you in the future? What has he promised to do for you? See, if we connect those two things, what God has done for us in the past with what he's promised to us in the future, that is how we obtain joy in the present. That's how we pray like Habakkuk prays here. God, we stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. God, you have provided for us miraculously in the past. Do it again. God, you have provided revival in our church in the past. Do it again. God, you have saved us. Do it again. See, Habakkuk doesn't just remember what God has done in the past, though. In the second section, he moves on. And he tells us a little more about what God will do in the future to what God has said that he will do. See, we only have in chapter 2 the words that God said to Habakkuk. But the way Habakkuk is talking here is almost as if he has seen something. right? God has spoken to him, but it's almost as if he has seen what God has said to him. As we saw in the last section, the future has become real for him in the present. And so Habakkuk starts by questioning God again. We start to see some questions from him, but they're different from his questions earlier in the book. He's not accusing God of anything, but he's trying to understand what God is doing. Habakkuk is trying to find words to describe what it is that he has heard and seen, and he struggles to do so in this book. He turns to what he knows. He compares God's power to the power of nature. And he compares God's power to the power that he has over the nations. His questions to God here point out that God's power is not just like nature, but that God's power is over nature. And as God has promised to pour out his wrath upon Babylon, his creation will be affected. And in fact, God will use his creation as part of his judgment, just as God used the Red Sea in the Egypt story as God's wrath against Egypt. But God's power is also like the military power of Babylon, but at the same time, so much greater. Habakkuk draws us to this imagery of a bow and arrow that God has, but God's bow and arrow splits rivers in two. And at the sight of his bow and arrow, the moon and the stars stop moving. It's really kind of strange imagery, and it's a pretty terrifying picture. But then we see the purpose of all of that, of God's power, in verse 13, where Habakkuk says, You came out to deliver your people. To save your anointed one. It's a really powerful line. God is coming to save his people. His power over nature and over nations is expended for this one purpose. To deliver those he loves from their enemies. See, this has always been God's heart for his people. 
And though God will raise up Babylon and allow his people to be carried away in exile, he will come to get them again. They will remember not just this time that he saved them, but every time that he has saved them. So this is the God that we worship. This is why we're here this morning. If there's anything that we should get from the book of Habakkuk as we close it out today, is this. God is not distant. God is not far away from you. God is not removed from the world and all that is happening in it. God is near. He is present. He's closer to us than we could ever imagine. And what we see here in verse 13, he is coming to save us. No matter how far away from him you may feel, no matter how bad your circumstances may seem, God is coming to save you. He will save you. He wants to save you. See, Habakkuk had been blind to what God was doing. But now he sees it. His eyes have been opened. He sees God as he truly is, a loving God who is on his way to save his people. So whatever it is that you're facing in your life in this moment, I want you to picture this with me as Habakkuk describes it, to see this as Habakkuk sees it. God is coming. He's on his way. He's fighting to save you. But this isn't just about us, right? The words that Habakkuk uses is your anointed one. So this is an Old Testament picture of Jesus as well. God is coming to save his anointed one, his chosen one. We call Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? That's what we call him. Uh, But Christ isn't Jesus's last name, though sometimes it seems like that, right? Christ means anointed one. Christ, Jesus is the Christ because he is the anointed one. And Jesus, after he died on the cross, was in the grave for three days. But after those three days, he was raised from the dead. See, this is how we know that God is coming to save us because his own son died and gave his life in order to save us. But death wasn't the end for him. That Jesus defeated death in the grave. So if that's true, the enemy here in Habakkuk chapter 3 is Babylon. Sure, we've been talking about that. But it is also Satan. The enemy is also death itself. And here is what God did with Babylon Satan and death with the enemy here in Habakkuk chapter 3. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. He brought them to an end using their own weapon. Jesus died. He had been a victim of death, Satan and Babylon's weapon. But when Jesus rose from the dead, God used death to defeat death. By Jesus dying and rising again, Jesus brought death to an end. 
By dying and rising again, Jesus robbed death of its power. But he still had to die for that to happen. Because God used death to defeat death. In Christ, you and I no longer have to die. Death is no longer the end for us. See, when we are in Christ, we become Christians, which means little Christ, little anointed ones. What is true of Christ becomes true of us, which means that we will rise again one day too. That's why we can take verse 13 and apply it to ourselves, because we are little anointed ones, and God is coming to save us. We will be reunited with God. Now, as the chapter draws to a close, we move into that last section in verse 16. Habakkuk Habakkuk lets us in a little bit on what's going on in his mind and his heart as he processes all of this and what his response to all of this is. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. See, this has all been very moving for Habakkuk, right? To think about these things and to think about what they mean, so much so that his legs become weak. His heart is pounding. I think this would be true for any of us who have heard and seen all of this. But so is the job of a prophet here. See, for Habakkuk to see these things, for him to dwell on them, to think about them, it's really an incredible task. It's exciting and it's frightening at the same time. He is in awe, but he's also a little bit afraid. He fears the Lord, and rightly so, but he's also thankful that God is still on his side. Despite what he's feeling in the moment, he resolves to trust in God. He says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He will wait patiently for all of this to take place. He seems to have accepted the fact that Babylon is coming to invade Israel, sure, but only because he has seen how all of this will end for Israel. See, this is how Habakkuk can seem so calm in the midst of all of this. Because he knows how the story ends. God has shown him how the story ends. He begins to talk about all that's going to go wrong around him. Right, The fig trees won't bud. There are no grapes on the vines. The olive crop fails. The fields produce no food. There's no sheep in the pen. No cattle in the stalls. Everything that could possibly go wrong, is going wrong for Habakkuk. But despite all of that, Habakkuk will still rejoice in the Lord. He will still have joy in his Savior. See, it isn't just that he'll get by, barely, scraping along. It isn't just that he'll grumble all of the way until all of this takes place. It isn't that he'll secretly hold this against God, that his circumstances aren't all that he wants them to be. No, Habakkuk will rejoice. He will have joy in the midst of it because he knows that God is coming 
to save him. The Lord is his strength. The Lord will get him through it. See, now that Natalie and I have Bowen, uh, I have a lot of great sermon analogies (laughs) to use. Uh, Right now, uh, I don't get the impression that Bowen trusts me a whole lot. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, if he wakes up from a nap and I'm not there, he cries. (laughs) If I leave the room and I'm gone for more than a second, he cries. If I'm there right next to him, but he can't see me, he cries. Bowen doesn't trust me. It's not his fault, right? He's just a baby. He's learning, right? That even when dad's not there, he will still come back, right? In his mind, maybe I won't come back, right? Maybe I'm gone forever and he'll never see me again. I I don't know. Sometimes uh, I think we're like that with God, the moment that we start to think that he might not be there, we, we start to lose it, right? See, in the midst of all of this, we need to trust that he is there with us. Habakkuk has heard all of this. He has seen all of this. He has moved from remembering to seeing and now to trusting in God. He has moved from complaining to acceptance, but now to worship and joy. And I think this is a good guide, a good formula, if you will, for what it looks like for us in our lives to believe in the gospel. So I don't think it's enough to merely accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This is the common language that we use for the gospel. We have to accept the gospel, right? I'm guilty of saying that. But I don't think that acceptance is a mere passive acceptance, right? As if there were no better options and this is what we're stuck with, right? As if it was um, God's worst case scenario. This is an active acceptance. This was the best option that God provided us with. And it is a blessing. We should not just seek to accept what Jesus did. To just accept it would diminish his work on the cross and his sacrifice for us. I do think we need to accept it, but we need to move beyond just acceptance. We need to seek to worship Jesus for what he did for us. We should seek to have joy because of it. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, as we finish this book today, we thank you that we can wrestle with you, that we can work through these things with you. And Father, as you did for Habakkuk, I pray you would do for us that even as we raise our complaints to you and as you respond to us, I pray that we would do what Habakkuk does here in this chapter. I pray that we would praise you for it. So God, help us to move from complaining to acceptance and then to worship. Help us to know, God, that you will come to save us. Now we've seen it 
through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. May we not just accept it, but may we rejoice in it. We pray this in Jesus' name.